Welcome to the Music, Money, and Life podcast. This podcast is brought to you by HowToLicenseYourMusic.com. If you want to learn how to make money writing music for TV, films, and ads, visit HowToLicenseYourMusic.com today for a free video series all about how to write music specifically for use in TV shows, films, and commercials. Music, Money, and Life is the podcast that brings together the best minds in music licensing, music publishing, music marketing, and more together in one place. Learn how to license your music and market your music. Learn the latest cutting-edge techniques for getting your music heard and making money from your music. Learn directly from the musicians and industry insiders on the front lines of the music business. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review in iTunes. Every positive review helps us rise up the ranks in iTunes, gain more subscribers, and attract more and more great guests. And now, without further ado, here's today's podcast. Today's podcast is the audio version of a webinar that I did with composer John Delvento last November for my premium site, htlympremium.com. John is a TV and film composer based in Connecticut who's had commercial placements with Nike, Toyota, and Visa, among others. He's had television show placements with shows including Chopped, Nova, Practical Jokers, Hunting Hitler, Amish Mafia, Black Ink Crew, Love and Hip Hop, The Island, WWE, SmackDown, and many more. In addition to commercials and television, John also enjoys composing short and feature film scores, most notably for the documentaries Veil of Silence and the award-winning horror film Lucifer's Angels. If you enjoy interviews like this one, be sure to join our premium site, HT. LYMPremium.com. That's H T L Y M, as in how to license your music, premium.com. We have dozens of more high definition video interviews like this one, as well as in depth courses on music licensing and music production, music licensing leads, and much, much more. Visit H T L Y M premium.com for more. Okay, here's my interview with John Delvento. My guest today is John Del Vento. I think a lot of you are probably already familiar with John from the podcast that we did. I think it was, it was back in January we connected. It was a great podcast. It's had over 1,000 downloads. It was really well received. And I know, didn't you end up connecting with a couple people as a result of that podcast that you ended up working with? Yeah, that was the really exciting thing about that podcast is I got to connect with you and you know, talk about kind of my life and my experiences and stuff, which was fun. But I also opened the door at the end. I said, hey, you know, if anyone wants to send me an email, I got, you know, I'm available. I'd love to talk with you, maybe work with you. We talked about teamwork or, you know, co-writing and, you know, working together. And, you know, a lot of people sent me stuff and I've really connected with a couple guys and, you know, we've, we're still working together and they've done pretty well, you know, just kind of being able to connect, you know, after the podcast. So it's been beneficial to myself. You know, it's been beneficial to the community who gets to watch and beneficial to the people that connect and beneficial to everybody that gets this information. So yeah, it was a great podcast for me to be able to connect with some composers. And luckily a little bit later, one of those composers that I was able to connect with, Mike is going to be uh, coming on, who's been working with me for a good year. You know, he's kind of been like my protege a little bit, you know, kind of virtual protege and he's really blossomed into his own thing. And now he's got his own co-writers himself and He's getting placements with small shows and he did something for Panasonic, a, a little jingle like that. So he's kind of ex really experienced the nitty gritty of the business for the year. So I think he could offer a, a really relevant perspective that he's not full time yet. He's very vocal about that. He's got a family, beautiful family, a really busy job. And he finds the time to really hustle and respond to these briefs. And 
I, he's really inspired me this year since connecting with him. So I think he'll also be able to inspire some of the listeners. So he'll be joining in later, which would be cool. And I think he'll give a relevant perspective. So Aaron, thanks for, uh, you know, helping the podcast get out there and helping me connect with people too. I think you have a great community here. Um, but a lot of people did send me stuff and, you know, it, it wasn't really up to snuff and I still replied and, you know, everybody, you know, hopefully got something out of that as well. You know, there's always, we're always learning, always growing. Um, but, um, it's very competitive. That's just, it is what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, so we're going to go for about an hour today. We're going to go until 3 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be a really laid back webinar today. We have nothing extra to sell you guys. There's no sales pitch. We're just going to pick John's brain for, for about an hour. But I, I thought we would do this, John, before we kind of jump into this, for, for the people that are not familiar with you, can you kind of give us a little bit of a, a, little bit of a bio, a, a little bit about yourself and some of the shows and projects you've, you've worked on? Yeah, I mean, everybody should probably not be too familiar with me, I guess. You know, I'm just, I'm just a, a little, you know, hometown, small town, a TV composer, basically. So my name is John Delvento. I'm a lifelong musician, really. I was a performing musician in classical music and, you know, did public school music teaching. I was really involved with the band and instrumental music and things like that. I ended up becoming a composer in my very early 20s and ended up you know, long story short, getting into the, the television music kind of branch um, of the business when, you know, uh, com composition started becoming a lot more digital and a lot more accessible on laptops and things. I kind of jumped in at that time, which was nice. So I was able to, you know, link up with a lot of nice publishers at the time that really helped me get off. And, you know, a few years later, it, you know, ended up becoming full time, but I've been really lucky to provide music for uh, dozens of shows at this point. I mean, the profits playing right now, they're using my stuff, which is great. Impractical Jokers, uh, Chopped on the Food Network, several shows on the Food Network, which is nice. Um, WWE Smackdown uses my stuff a lot. So I have a lot of just little things that come in from different sides, little small shows here, reality shows, cable shows. Uh, I do a few trailers, a few commercial jingles, Geico commercial. Um, you know, I also help push other people's tracks and publish other tracks for competitive briefs and things like that. So always stuff going on. You could always go to johndelvento.net, which is updated maybe once a year. But, um, you know, there's there's always some music and, and stuff there and you can see a little bit more of my credits. But uh, it's been a long journey, but I've been really happy um, to be able to provide music for a lot of different types of shows, different styles of shows, which is cool. And I think that's what's really cool about TV music is that you can do a lot of different styles. So it's been keeping me fresh and keeping me young and keeping me excited because, you know, I'm not stuck with one style of music. You know, I could be writing music for the, you know, Kardashians, you know, yelling at their, you know, family members in one day and then I'm writing a, a scary music for, you know, a, a PBS um, special or, or, you know, about a murder or something like that. So there's always something going on. But, um, you know, this past year especially, I've been – venturing out a little bit more into you know advertisement music and commercial music and trailers and things like that which is a little bit more um you know competitive but you know always always growing but i'm just you know a composer out here in the northeast united states that's where i'm based and not in los angeles or i'm close to new york which is helpful but i'm not in la or anything like that i'm just doing my thing here and it's um it's a lot of fun it's a, a whole lot of fun Awesome. I got a lot of stuff coming up soon that maybe we can, you know, talk about at the end. Uh, I could tease and all that kind of stuff. But uh, 
that's a you know few examples of some of the things I've been working on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so what I wanted to do, what I wanted to do today, John, is sort of give people a lot of our previous webinars. We we've sort of honed in on on very specific aspects of licensing, but today, what I wanted to do is sort of give people a broad overview of how to go from beginner or part time all the way up to full time, which is where you're at now. Um, in the podcast we did back in January, one of the topics that, that you talked about that, that I thought was really compelling was the idea of grit versus hard work and, and how those two things sort, sort of overlap. And, you know, one of the examples that you gave in the podcast is, do you have the tenacity and the time and the ambition to sit down for eight or 10 hours a day and send your music to hundreds of different places? Are you able and willing to do that? Can, can you, I, I guess, sort of talk about you know, how long it takes to go from part-time to full-time and what that, what, what this sort of beginning one or two years looks like. Yeah. I mean, that, that journey is going to look different for many people in different fields, but it's also going to look similar for people in any field that they want to be ambitious in. And, and that's in that your beginning years is very gritty. And what grit means it's a big word that I love. Grit means it's not all about hard work and working hard. Grit is just the idea of never giving up. And that's what music licensing is all about because it's such a slow race. It's so competitive. There's so much rejection that you have to have a sense of grit to just handle all that rejection and just keep making tracks because there's, it's also a quantity game. You have to get you know, a good 100 tracks, 200 tracks. You have to write a lot of music to really get those royalty statements and get those placements up and, you know, getting connected with good publishers because they know you, you know how to write, you know, fast and things like that. So you got to get your output up and that requires grit. That requires just keeping going forward. So, you know, just getting to part-time to full-time is a lot about quantity. It's just making sure you're always writing music. And it's also about quality, you know, writing your best music and not rushing. You know, a lot of people want to get it right now, but they don't want to get it right now. You know what I'm saying? So that's like another little one-liner thing is that everybody kind of wants it now. Everybody wants to, you know, get all the placements and everything, but you just really got to focus on the best music and your most quality and, and really build it slowly. And then it should be a pretty natural progression. If you're linked up with good publishers, if you're linked up with good, uh, you know, television music connections and things like that, which is a hustle in itself, kind of the business side of things. But you know, music quality is number one. You have to have really have really good music. So, you know, when you're part-time or younger or really, you know, in the beginning stages, you want to focus on your best music. It's your, the best software you could afford and the, the best programs, which a lot can be free. And, you know, some people download things illegally, whatever. I'm not condoning any of that, but you just do what you got to do to get your, your best toolkit. And then once you got your toolkit, set up like for me it would have been like my first small apartment um you know when i was finishing my my you know college years so it was very free time for me so if you're starting in an adult life or even younger in a teenage life you know some some things i say might you know not apply to you but you know that's why mike is going to be cool to bring in later because he's kind of getting started a little bit later in life where he already has a family and he's accepted the fact that it's going to take years like five years and he's going into it knowing that. So if you go into that, go into it with that mindset of patience and humility and not wanting to be owed anything, you, you, it'll be okay to just handle it. But if you go into it 
expecting to be a big, you know, TV composer like, you know, Charlie Sheen on Two and a Half Men, you know, in Malibu with a big grand piano. You know, you got to manage expectations. So that's kind of the, the really general path of going part-time to full-time. You have to write a lot of music. You have to write a lot of good music. And you have to get connected to really quality publishers. It's kind of like the big three things. Um, and however long it takes, try to get to 100 tracks. I mean, have these little goals. I'm going to write you know, five tracks this week. I'm going to write 10 tracks this month. I'm going to write 100 tracks this year. And you know, multiply it and see you know, how it goes. And you know, make sure all your paperwork's in order, that you're registered with BMI, that your tracks are named properly. You do all this you know, clerical stuff that's also very important because that, you know, helps you, you know, become more, you know, marketable and, and more uh, successful with it. So there's all these little things that go and you're always learning and connecting with people on Facebook and listening to podcasts and always getting better. So it's, it's a lot. It really is a lot to do this kind of stuff full time, but it can be done. And there is really a lot of people doing it. And, you know, it is a very, you know, accessible field for anybody that has a computer to be honest and the tenacity the grit and the tenacity to work their asses off and send a lot of emails and search online and read and really work hard it's the grit and you never give up man you never never give up just always keep going can you you talk about one of the things that you said was finding quality publishers, good publishers. Can you talk about some of the char- characteristics, like what you're looking for? Because there's so many different libraries and, and publishers now. And even, you know, after, you know, 10 years of doing this myself, I'm constantly discovering new companies. So, so what are sort of some of the attributes that you look for in terms of signing with, with new companies? Yeah, me too. Cause I'm, I'm kind of at the point where I work with a good five or six publishers very closely and they take care of me and I could live just fine with them. And if I ever wanted to expand, it would be hard to kind of get back out there and, and find good publishers, but a very good resource that all the, you know, a lot of the professional TV and licensing composers use is called the music library report. So you can go to musiclibraryreport.com. It's a great website. You could even do they have like one day subscriptions because sometimes composers just like to go in there for one day and just get all the research. It's like two ninety nine, or you can get a 14 day membership. And it's just, it's a database of every freaking music library you ever heard of and all legit real composers reviewing them. A lot of the times the libraries respond. There's a lot of complaints on a lot of libraries, a lot of honest opinions. And there's all, a, there's a lot of full-time real pro composers that go there. And that was a great resource for me. Because especially if you're working full time and you got a family, you want to make sure that every track you write is going to a place that's going to monetize it. You know, you want to make sure that your music is has a clear path or a, a clear as you possibly can path to monetization. That you're you're working with a publisher that has good credits, their website looks good, they've been around for a while. But also work with some independent publishers because working with small publishers. And small teams is cool because you kind of grow together. And that's what I do with my team, too. We're very small. But you got to work with big publishers, too. You can join the Production Music Association. They have a great list of all the kind of major publishers, you know, the ones that buy everyone out, you know, BMG and all these big companies. You want to try to connect with the big wigs, try to connect with some small publishers. But Music Library Report has everything. You could search by ranking, five-star four star, three star, but hit every five star library, send a demo reel, you know, 10, 20 demos every day. Use that resource. 
There's some good eBooks out there that actually have lists um, of libraries. You could just, you know, Google music libraries. So there's many ways to search, but you at least have to start with 10 or 20, get a few briefs coming in your emails, get, you know, get used to the system of sending out MP3s and getting feedback and doing stems and approvals and all right, you know, just kind of get used to the workflow and then maybe connect with another publisher before you know it next year, you might be getting a strange email from BMI staying royalty statement. What the freak is this? <laughs> all right, you know, five bucks. Woo, drinks on me. And then a year later, hey, you know, 200 bucks. This 200 bucks is coming every three months. All right, let's go more publishers. And then you start, you know, your name, you know, your reputation with your publisher starts to go up more. So then maybe your publisher starts sending you work. And it's that symbiotic relationship, which makes production music really fun because it's all about relationships and people work together a lot. In other music industries, it can be very cutthroat, very competitive. Like composers that work on films and big movies, a very competitive fight for work. But TV music composers and publishers, they really work together very well because when a composer is successful, their publisher is successful. And when a publisher is working hard, the composer is successful. So it's, it's fun to work as a team like that. But you should do have to get started and find the good libraries. And I really recommend Music Library Report because the business is very crowded right now. And there's a lot of libraries and a lot of people don't have the patience to wait a year until they receive money for their tracks. So maybe you, know, you just got to find a bigger library that can push your tracks faster. But if your music isn't ready um, to be submitted there, then you know you have to maybe start with smaller libraries or things like that. Or just don't worry about libraries and just worry about you know learning how to be a better composer, a better music producer first. So yeah, there's several resources. Um, and a lot of the times you could just look up the TV shows and you could find, you know, what library works for those TV shows or provides. I mean, IMDb is full of information, so you can get a lot of names and, you know, a lot of people back in the day, a music library wouldn't respond for like six months to demos. You know, now I think they respond very soon. That's what's really nice. That's changed a lot. People respond to emails really quickly. So you send them a demo, they'll give you a yay or a nay, and then just respond to their emails, say yes shut your mouth, get it done, don't complain, deliver everything on time, be a team player and give it three years. And if you do everything right and keep your head down and be respectful and appreciative and manage expectations, you'll be doing it full time. But um, I make it sound easy, but it's, 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 it's really, and I've worked with a lot of people that I've had to sever relationships with because I didn't think they just weren't cut out for it, to be honest. They, their tracks are named poorly. Uh, deadlines always late. They're always got an excuse. They're always asking me, Hey, how come the tracks haven't placed yet? Like trying to, you know, you know, blame others for their, um, tracks not moving. And so those kind of mindsets are, I don't have time for that kind of stuff. And that just means you don't have what's what you don't have the mindset to be a composer or producer. So it's a mindset thing. It's a skills thing. It's a, you know, a personality thing, a, a professionalism thing. It really is a lot that goes into kind of becoming full time. Because if you're going to make a living, you know, being a, a school teacher or something, you got to dress up nice in the morning. If you're going to be an office worker, you got to dress up nice and follow the rules. You know, if you're going to be a full time freelance composer, you got to, you know, step up and really follow the rules and do everything professionally. And it's a business. So a lot of people don't have that kind of savvy yet, but they can develop it if they give it the time, you know, give it two, three years kind of study under someone, do some 50% tracks with someone that really knows what they're talking about, then give it a year, learn about the tax, 
laws and things like that. Learn about PayPal, learn about, you know, work for hire and NDAs and go through a couple licenses and then just keep growing and be a sponge. And for me, I was kind of just by myself with books and Google and there weren't any eBooks or cool sites like yours. So I was just kind of learning by trial and, and error. So it took me a good three years, but these days you could even do it in one year if you really focus and, and learn. But then when you get there, you got to be able to stay there. If you're full time and you give up a, a nice job with insurance and benefits and your friends are all dentists and they're doing all right and they get the weekends off and everything and everybody has kids and you're still single and stuff, you know, you got to deal with that lifestyle too. And you got to be able to maintain that lifestyle and maybe not get any money come in for a month or two. And are, are you able to save properly and, you know, take these big checks that make you excited and say, well, wait, I got to make this thing last six months, right? Let's, let's be responsible. So always learning how to live as a full-time freelancer is, is, is not easy, but it can be done. Just have the mindset, man. So I think that's probably my word for this stream. The last one was grit. This one here is mindset because I've been finding myself say that a lot. I think it's a mindset is very important. Um, one of the things I hear, hear a lot in, in, in coaching and in working with musicians is, you know, I signed 20 tracks to library X. I have another 15 with, with, with library Y nothing's happening. I hear this bad, all the time. My, yeah, my track, my, my tracks. Okay. So that's what I was, what I was going to say is what would you, seems like so many composers get stuck in this situation where their tracks just aren't generating any income, bad libraries or just not enough time. How do you, how do you sort of know the difference? No, I would, I'd be honest and just say bad, bad light. Well, I shouldn't, that's a little harsh. I mean, it could be a new library that's just building, but it, you got to give it a year. But that's what I say to people is send the track off and then shut up for a year. Don't, <laughs> don't ask about it. Maybe nag the publisher once. Publishers hate being nagged and composers are, are nags. And I, and I have a team and I have a couple nags too. It's okay. I, I'm, I nag too, but there's an art to nagging about tracks. There really is. But I would give it a year. After a year, you really got to nag and say, hey guys, I've had no action on this track. I don't, I, I don't think we're going to work together. And that happens. You know, I still have libraries that, you know, I've sent tracks for and nothing happened. And I still get their briefs coming in and I guess I'm still on their roster. I just don't respond to them because I don't think my time is well spent. So if, you, if you've sent 15 tracks somewhere, which is great, you've really committed to that library. That's awesome. Give it a year. And if nothing's moved, or if you get no detections, if you use like TuneSat or something like that, or if your royalty statements are nothing, and you emailed them and said, hey, you know, what's going on? It's been a year. And they said, you know, we're just not moving. Um, you know, and that's just it. You could either decide not to work on them. You can press them more and say, hey, are you working hard enough for my tracks? You know, are you? Because if you're writing for free, like a lot of these TV composers write for free, you got to think about that. The library is not investing anything in those tracks. So there's really no incentive for them to really go out there. But if you work with good libraries, sometimes they actually pay you to compose, which is nice. So at least you get something out of it. You know, when if, and if a library pays you to do something, that means that they're going to work hard to, you know, re-monetize that track for themselves. But yeah, if you're writing for free, sometimes you got to nag them and say, hey, have you been, you know, promoting my tracks enough? You know, hey, you know, hey, um, you know, it, do you have a good list of clients? And you don't, you know, you don't really have the right to run the business for them, but you could ask them, Hey, you know, are you, are you a new publisher? Are you guys sub published anywhere? Which is fine. And if you're working with a new publisher or 
you get a group of friends that want to make a company or something, you know, that's a good five-year plan, you know, give them five years. And a lot of the times when you sign for a music library, the terms will be maybe one year, two years, but give it a year. But um, if you're writing more tracks for that library, that's on you. You just got to find a, a library that's a little bit better and then find those golden libraries, those very few, once you get to a certain level that will pay you to compose up front. So you don't have to wait months and months to monetize a track because that's what suck. And it discourages a lot of people. Some people just write so many tracks for free for these kind of bottom shelf publishers and it, it's tough and then they get nothing. And you know, some people can get paid $250 for one track and they get the back end after. And some people get, have worked for these libraries that will pay writers like 30 bucks to compose and, that's like an advance and that could be a negotiating tactic as well. You know, if you've worked for a library for a year and they haven't turned anything around, maybe they say, Hey, we got an album coming up. You want to write? Say, Hey, can I get a little upfront to write something? Can you guys, you know, spare 50 bucks <laughs> so I could get something because you know, it's been a year and it's nothing. So I got to have an advance. And when you use that term, it's nice because it's kind of like a business term in advance that, you know, you know, you're going to give me 50 now. And then the first 50 bucks that the track earns goes back to you kind of thing. So monetization is tricky in the beginning because if you think of monetization, you're going to get really discouraged. What you should think about in the beginning is quality. If you're writing quality music, put some on SoundCloud, you know, see if it's, if the public likes it, send it to some composers, get some good feedback because maybe those 20 tracks just aren't good because there's probably other composers in that library. Maybe they're placing, uh, maybe there's a little politics going on, but focus on quality in the beginning. Don't worry about the money. The best thing to do in this business is to be surprised by the checks. Open up your mailbox and say, whoa, I don't, I don't even remember the name of this damn track. Or to open up that royalty statement, oh man, it's, it's a lot more than last time. Be surprised. Uh, you'll get to that stable point, hopefully, knock on wood. But don't hustle for money. Don't nag about money. Sometimes I'll get a placement. I got to wait six months to get my check. And if I just email the publisher and nag them, I, I look desperate. I look... Uh, a little unprofessional. So you just got to be patient and you know, that, that money will, will come in eventually with it. That's kind of the mindset I, I like to take. And if you're just chasing money in the beginning, it's not really the best mindset, I think, but focus on quality, but also don't be afraid to push back on a publisher. I'd say after a year, give them a year, um, but, and give small publishers a little more of a chance because I myself also run a very small publishing company, even though I'm a composer and, We've been in business for like about a, almost a year and very little, just a couple small placements and stuff, very little work coming on. So I know how long it can take. So if you're working with a small publisher, give it some time. But if you're signed with a big publisher with a lot of placements, you know, they should be turning your tracks around in three months, four months if, if everything is working well. So, you know, just um, have good judgment. You know, a lot of these, it's tough to answer a lot of these questions generally, but um, you just got to be prepared for every situation and have a professional method of communication for every scenario that you, you, you know, come up with in this business. Cause every library is different. One wants AIFs, one wants wave, one wants MP3s, one owns your tracks exclusively. One pays you upfront. One doesn't, one works in Europe, one works in America, one works in crappy reality shows, one does sports shows. So you always have to be able to handle various um, scenarios. Um, the long story short there or short yeah, story yeah. long. <laughs> yeah, listen, I think this is a, a good segue into, into bringing Michael on. Um, 
actually it looks like he just wrote the link doesn't let me participate so 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 michael before before we bring him on john can you sort of introduce michael and explain how you guys connected he's he's been at this almost a year now right well yeah and even before connecting with me michael has been uh, composing um you know michael has he's um you know i'm in the u.s michael is in um uh, wales and he's uh, connected with me after your first podcast and sent a very professional email, a great reel. Um, he had a few tracks placed already before um, hanging out with me. He had a, a background as like a glitch producer and he used to help a young, you know, people in the, he was, he's like a community um, nonprofit worker. That's like his job. And he used to help kids produce music and stuff and do like pop music and kind of glitch and stuff because that style of music's really big over there, which is cool. So he had a, a real legit background. Then he got into production music a little later. Then he hit me up and we've just connected in various ways, including 50-50 co-writes, including teamwork, sharing work, and including uh, participating on albums together and pushing tracks and placements. And just his sound palette has complemented mine. And, um, you know, I've been able to kind of mentor him along and he's gotten, you know, several Several cool little placements since working with me and has been able to experience a year of working on several different projects. I mean, he's seen the full Monty. He's gotten a lot of rejections and um, he's, like I said, starting to spread his wings. So, yeah, I'm really happy to, you know, invite Mike here on the podcast to kind of give a, a really relevant perspective to a lot of people who are listening that, you know, I've been doing this full time for several years. Maybe I'm a little quote unquote out of touch and the way that I got into the business is totally different than someone today might do it. So how I hustled back then would probably be a lot different if I was starting now. So I think Mike can add a lot more relevancy, but he's a great composer. He um, writes so many different genres and he mixes really well. He works on the laptop. He's got a family, beautiful family, kids, and um, is, is a provider and is able to just compose sometimes with, four or five hours of sleep shows up for work and comes in and responds and everything's named properly. Everything's delivered. Well, you very rarely have to repeat instructions. He follows the brief, always on brief, always on time, capitals, underscores, BPM, everything is right. And that's why out of my little team that I have like four or five guys, he has been hands down the most successful out of all of them. And I, you know, causation, correlation, whatever it is. So, I'm excited to keep working with him and watch where his career goes. And, you know, it all started with our last podcast. So folks listening, um, I don't want to make it seem like that everyone that hits, hits me up or if you hit up a, another composer, you'll always get lucky. But don't be afraid to just hit up a composer that's established and asked to work together. You know, it might work out to something pretty cool. And hopefully I'll be working with Mike for many years. So that's a, a really special thing. So I could click a button and he'll join in and yeah. Yeah. When, whenever you're ready, let's, let's, let let's bring him on. Yeah. So Michael B is there. I'm going to click, click him in there. And I think he is available. It looks like you brought somebody else on. looks like there's like Whoops. two people <laughs> popped up there. Whoops. Sorry about that. I can Nice to meet you mentoring with music, but this is, hey, Mike, how are you, buddy? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Hey, John. Hey, Aaron. How are you doing? Hey, Mike. Good, good to hear you. Is there any way, can, can, we, can we see you as well? Is that possible? Or? I'm not sure. I can't really see anything about video, so you're going to uh, you're gonna have to have my uh, radio voice. <laughs> All right. Well, that's cool. As long as we can hear you. 
So yeah, Mike, okay, great to have you on the webinar. Um, you know, John has told me a little bit about you, but I'd love to hear, you know, your, your story. Uh, John obviously already explained a little bit about your background, but, but how, yeah. has, how has it been going working with uh, John? So yeah, I mean, uh, John, working with John has been a school in itself, really. Um, he's taught me so many things behind the scenes, what the editor's like, delivering in the right format, like he said, you know, be, being diligent, being workflow efficient, it's, it's, it's so important. Uh, we just lost him. Oh, um, oh. There you sorry, are. You're, Mike, you're, I think you're back. I lost it, everybody. I'm just, I'm trying to figure out how to potentially get you on video. <laughs> Never mind. But, sorry, I, you, were, you, were, you were talking about um, a school in itself. I, I like that term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I know I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's a pleasure being on this podcast, but also um, it's been so great working with John. Because, I mean, I've written for his company's library albums, but also for a lot of custom requests for TV shows and commercials. Um, but, you know, it's, it's been great. I've, I've, it's how, how to be patient, how to be persistent, you know, while trying to go from part time to full time. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful to everything he's done for me so far. And Hope to be working with him for, for years to come. So, so you have a family. What is that like in terms of balancing, you know, your, your full-time job, family responsibilities? How do you, how are you finding the time to do this? Hey, Mike, you do have video capability now. I believe I discovered it. And I would love it. There, there you are. There you are. Aaron, you need to grow a beard if we're together next time. Yeah, right. All three of us. I just shaved today. So yeah, so I'm I'm wondering how you, see you how you how you balance, you know, so many um it's even people without family struggle just in general musicians struggle to find the time to actually do this. How how are you managing and sort of balancing your time with everything you have going on? Sometimes with great difficulty, but yeah. um you know, it's uh, it, it can be very busy. You know, after after a long day uh, with my day job, I'm, I'm still working as a, as a youth worker with young people. Um, you know, coming home, spending time with my family. Um, you know, sometimes it's 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 it can be a bit hard to to show up. You know, but that's the most important thing: show up, do the work. You know, even if it's half hour or one hour, it's it's better than no time at all, no no work at all. It's it's the one percent rule. You know keep doing something every day to move the, the needle slightly, you know, in order to get closer to your goals. Like I said, half hour is better than no time at all. And don't make excuses. You know, you, you don't need to watch Netflix every day. You know, um, I, 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 most of the stuff I've done, I, I'm doing it in two hours a day or three hours a day when everyone has gone to sleep, you know, it's, it, sometimes it's not easy, but you got to keep going. And then you just, you just, you just see the placements um, and you see the, the royalties building up and, and that just motivates me to do more. Yeah. Do you have a, a schedule, sort of a, a routine that you stick to or is it a little bit different every day? Um, I usually, you know, once I put my, my uh, kids to bed, then I'll, um, I'll turn the <laughs> laptop on, see, you know, see what work is on offer, see uh, the deadlines, you know, and try to organize it accordingly. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's very important to, um, when working with publishers, to, to, to be diligent, um, have everything right waiting for them, you know, make their lives easier. So uh, I try to work hard, but I try to work smart, if that makes any sense. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. So before before you connected with John in, in January, how mm-hmm. long had you been pursuing this? So it was around two years. Um, so I started uh, three and a half years ago. I, um, I, I knew a guy from a recording studio, a local recording studio, and I could see he was um, posting on social media about placement. So I reached out to him with no tracks at all, no catalog. Um, and I asked him, you know, how, how do you get your stuff on TV? And uh, it turns out he had set up his own music library. So uh, that's when, right away I got my first brief and I start, sort of started building it up from there. Yeah. Um, but I also, um, I also tried a lot, a lot of royalty free sites, which were not really my, my, my kind of scene. Um, uh, again, it's one of the little slices of pie that, you know, someone could, uh, try his um, work with but um, I found library music gives me the, the direction and um, it, uh, it sort of helps me with what to create rather than um, creating anything and just hoping that it uh, works for someone. Great um, so you've been at this like three and a half years are your so, so your goal is to go full-time? Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is going. It is going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Do you do you have any idea how much longer it will take you to get there? Sort of based on where you are now. Uh, that's that's always hard to tell, um, because it depends on um, uh, it depends on where you know where the work. The thing with library music, it, it can feel a bit like a shot in the dark, because um, you might have some tracks sitting on a shelf. And then one track is being constantly placed, giving you royalties. To an extent, you never really know what's going to blossom, you know, from, from a seed you've planted. But um, if, you, if you work with publishers that obviously have the right connections, um, when it comes to libraries, if they've got a very good sub-publisher network and they're, and they're being represented in various countries around the world, then you, your work is in the right hands. Um, a very, very rough estimate, I'd say, you know, give it another two, three years and um, I'm there. But like John said, it's, it's different for everyone. Um, everyone's input is different. Everyone's life circumstances are different. So hard to give a definite answer, but um, it's, it's a very rough estimate to say. I mean, if, if you are creating at least 50 tracks a year, which is about one track a week, if you, if you do 50 tracks a year, for five, six years, then um, I, I think you've got a very good chance of going full time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people hear five, six years and they think that's, you know, this incredible length of time to, to wait. But if you think about becoming a dentist or a doctor or, or, or you know, sort of any per- quite worthwhile right, yeah. profession, it takes time. So, it, yeah, you're it, quite it, right. It just is what it is. Let's do this, guys. We have about 15 or 20 minutes left. I want to open up questions for anybody that's on that wants to ask, I I guess, either of you, uh, Michael or John. So if you guys have questions, we have a chat box going below. You can drop your questions in in there, and um, we'll sort of field questions for the the remainder of the the webinar. While we're waiting for questions to come in, anything else that you can tell us in terms of what this experience has, has been like working with, with uh, John for the last year? Uh, I've, I've learned new skills um, uh, and, and I've got new qualities. I'd, I'd say if, I, if, I need, if I'm to give any advice uh, 
based on my experience with John, I'd say, first of all, show up. Like I said, it's better to work for a little bit in one evening than no work at all. You know, um, try and do something every day. Um, no excuses. Um, you need to be consistent. Um, start writing, building a catalogue, and that will put you in a better position to to be able to approach music publishers or supervisors. Um, this this avenue of the industry is not for the hard fainted. You know, you need to have insane amounts of patience. Um, it is not a get rich quick scheme. It's a get rich slow scheme. You know, you can get there. It will just take a long time. You know. Um, for a while, it might seem like you're putting in tons of effort, effort, but you're getting nowhere. But uh, you've got to keep writing because your, your credibility will increase um, as the number of placements increases, and then and, and then the number of doors that will open for you uh, as well. Um, believe in yourself. I, I know that might sound cliche, but you know, if you told me three years ago when I when I started all this that I have my music on a on a great anatomy promo or dancing with the stars I, I would just laugh in your face you know um but not only is it possible but um i believe it's it's a more straightforward and viable um than other music industry avenues um and stop comparing your work to others uh, unless it's only to improve yourself um you know don't let other people's achievements stop your own you need to keep surrounding yourselves with positive inspirational people and uh and let them be your guide, really. Absolutely. No, that, that's good stuff. It looks like a couple questions are coming in. Um, Betty is asking, is music with vocals as viable as instrumentals? More, yeah. more so. Yeah. Yeah. And with vocal music, you should be in a very strong position to negotiate for an upfront payment. Um, instrumental music, a lot of the times you will write for free, for a brief or on spec. But if you have music with vocals, a lot of times you should because you put work into there and maybe spend some money. A library or an advertisement agency, whoever you're sending to, if it works out, you know, they should be giving you a little money for that track. So vocal music is very popular. It always is, always will be, um, especially foreign language music is always popular. But yeah, if you have vocal tracks, you're in a very good position and you're even a step above us guys that are just sitting here with a piano you know, in the, in the basement composing, you know, if you have tracks with vocals that are mixed well, that are produced very well, that are radio broadcast quality, then you're in a great position and you can really do some good placements, use, get some good placements with those if it all works out. Can, can you talk about when to approach publishers and libraries for upfront payments? Is that something, do you, do you think you should just, I was talking to Eddie Gray about this recently and he's like, you, you just ask them. He's like, you can just, offer to sell your tracks but some but i know some libraries it's more of a standard thing they do with all their writers when should a writer be asking for upfront money i think both of us could probably say some good stuff because even mike he will when he works with me that's a question he'll ask me and sometimes the answer is yes sometimes the answer is no and there's always um you know there's always reasons behind that in terms of what i would get for the project or what your publisher gets from the client um you know sometimes the publisher is not getting any money themselves so sometimes there's always a reason but sometimes uh you know you might be some taken advantage of but you know sometimes the, you know there might be um a situation where you can get paid but sometimes there's a situation you can't so for me it started pretty late actually i didn't care about that kind of stuff until it just kind of for me it just it happened i didn't have to ask too much it just kind of happened naturally um and that was very later i didn't focus on that kind of stuff but 
when I started to get a much better reel and more credits and more, I had actual placements like 20, 30 shows using my music. I said, Hey, um, I think I'm in a position to maybe ask for some money or, or you got to ask in a right way. You got to ask it. You got to really frame it. Well, you got to word it well that you're not desperate. You're not begging. You got to make it seem like it's a win-win situation. You got to make, Hey, I'm really busy. I work with a lot of publishers. Um, I'd love to write you a track. Is there any way you can give me a small advance just for my time and I'll get it to you in a couple days and it'll be mixed really well. And I could even put maybe even a live instrument on them. So, so you kind of make it seem worth their while. And I've done that many times because I have this little studio. I can record live musicians. So I'll say, hey, you know, give me a couple hundred bucks to do some musicians. They said, oh, I don't know. Hey, hey, they're going to be good. So you justify it. They say, oh, yeah. But if you just say, hey, give me money because I'm the man. Well, maybe not. Maybe you got to convince them. So there's a little bit there. Mike will probably have a lot to add there because... Um, yeah, and, and I mean, I think I think what you said about credibility and placements, you know, um, when I started out, there's no way I would um, ask for any upfront fees, um, whether I whether I, I was afraid to or whether I, I would think that, you know, that would uh, drive the publisher away. That's a different story. But I think uh, once you've got a bit a little bit more credibility, then just ask, you know, ask in the right way. But just ask. The, the worst that can happen is that they say no, and you you know you don't lose the job. You you still get to work for the brief, just not with an upfront fee. That's all. So it's a little bit of a case by case basis, a little bit That's of right, an yeah. intuitive thing. When you reach a point where you have a little bit of a track record, um, never hurts to ask, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, there's a couple more questions. Let's uh, take a couple more. This is from. From JF, thank you, Aaron, John, and Michael, for your time and wisdom. What resource would you recommend for someone who is not solely focused on composing mini tracks, but is writing specific singer-songwriter songs to shop to major label artists? Are there briefs available? This is a little bit outside the realm of, of licensing. Are there briefs available to know which artist is currently looking for songs? Is that anything you have, have been involved with, John, pitching to artists? Yeah, so we, um, my team and myself works pretty heavily, extensively in the advertisement, the pitching world. <laughs> we've got maybe, we've won two of them and have maybe provided music for probably 85. You know, I'm doing a kind of an end of year numbers report now and it's kind of striking how many we've actually pitched for. It, it is in the 80s, which is really crazy to think about. So I am in, in that and those people that are really into that, are kind of these people that are people that are really into trailer music or advertisement music or singer songwriter. Those are people that don't need to write a lot, but they could write one or two really good tracks and work with certain really niche music houses or publishers that only work with shopping really niche tracks. And some of those people can, you know, live all year on one track and make $300,000 on one, one song. I mean, there are people like that and there are other resources and, um, other podcasts about that kind of side of the business. I don't do too much of that, but I, I'm in kind of that world in the sense that sometimes I do like to take high quality tracks and I like to pitch them specifically um, for, you know, larger projects as opposed to doing quantity. Cause even these days, the old quantity thing is a little outdated is that because a lot, you know, it, it used to be very easy to say, write X amount of tracks, you'll be fine. But you could still say that like you write X amount of tracks, but also make sure you're sending to, you know, really good, you know, library. So the quantity and quality, but those people like that singer songwriter, 
trailer music, um, jingle people. They're really focused on, on quality. Um, and JF, you can definitely find access to those if you look up um, music houses. That's kind of the term with people. The music houses deal with uh, advertisement agencies and they have these little, almost they call them labels. They represent these unsigned artists and they treat them as artists and they shop them for big movie trailers and big songs. You know, in a lot of movies, there's songs or in Netflix commercials, there's vocal songs. And some of these, you know, young ladies that sing these TV music tracks are raking in the cash. Um, and it's, it's a whole nother niche. Um, it's not really my thing, but it does exist. Um, I, so I, I would also advise, um, you know, if, if the main goal is to get uh, songs that you've written yourself onto shows or commercials, then find out who makes those commercials or TV shows. So whether it's music supervisors directly for the shows or whether it's um, specific agencies that deal with uh, those. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a website, there's websites like um, ispot.tv um, where you can find the agency that was responsible for, for the commercial. So uh, find those commercials, create similar stuff, connect with the, with the companies. Can you yeah, say the, the name? Reverse the, engineer. Can you say the name of the website one more time? You said it was Icebot. TV? Yeah, Icebot.tv. Yeah, is is one of them. Okay. Cool. Michael brought up a really interesting point. I could expand on is that he said you have to know who you're working with because in this business there's always such a trickle down effect, and there could be so many hands in the pot. You could be working for this one who's pitching to this company, who's pitching to this company, who's pitching, and the paycheck has to travel down all these. Like sometimes, you don't, am I pitching to a TV editor? Am I pitching to a supervisor? Am I pitching to a publisher? Am I pitching to just a composer that's doing a 50 50? Kind of know who the client is, and that will also affect you know, the kind of music. So that was a kind of you know, really important point there is know who you're working with because that really makes a big difference on you know, if your tracks go in the right place. Yeah, and obviously the more direct route you have to how, to the editor or supervisor, the the better chance and the less money you have to to split up. And that was one question, you know, um, do you find working with a publishing company gives you better opportunities? Yeah, they take 50%. That's what it is. And that's the way to go. If you're trying to work directly and send music to a music supervisor, just stop doing it. I'm just going to tell you right now, they're, they're not going to take you seriously for a variety of mainly legal reasons. Because when you work with a publisher, whoops. Oh, my little fancy lighting rig fell apart. See, I got all did up for you, Aaron. I even bought a little lighting thing. Let me fix that. Nice, there we go. Nice. <laughs> but um, no, you know, they take 50%, but the publisher takes care of the legal things. They do the hard work. They deal with the clients. Believe me, I'm doing publishing now, and it's hard to be a composer and a publisher. It's basically impossible. To be composing tracks, hustling, and trying to pitch and promote them, no way. So believe me, publishers, if they're good which 99% of them are, they are earning that 50%, believe me. And that's a much easier way for you to get your music out there because that frees up your time to just compose. So Anthony, it is much better to just be working with publishers. And if you're lucky, you might meet a music supervisor one day. You might take a trip to New York and connect with an editor and you might have a few direct connections in your back pocket that you could start working with or you might link up with a composer. So same thing with me. I work with publishers mainly but I also have a few supervisors that I pitch to directly and editors like that. So you got to have those relationships. So Anthony, fantastic questions. And don't be scared of that 50%. Hell, some of these publishers are taking 60, which is a little tough, but um, you know, don't think that the publishers are just sitting there with the cash and you know, the strippers and everything. Cause they, they're working hard. It's a full-time job to clear these tracks 
and monetize and, them. And, and it's also about de delegation. You know, you, you've got the skills as a composer or a producer. That's what you love doing. Why do something else? I, I happily give my share to a publisher so that I can get on with what I love doing the most. It's, yeah. you know, it's common sense. I always say 50% of something is better than 100% exactly. of, of, of Definitely. nothing. I mean, Definitely. Um, and, a lot of, and a lot of people are too precious about their work, you know, but um, yeah, you, you got you to gotta, you give something to, to, to get something. Yeah. This segues uh, great into the next question, which is from Randall Dalton, which is how much time and energy goes into, into pitching. Can, can you talk about that? Because obviously if you have a publisher, they're pitching on your behalf, but when you're first getting started out, as a writer, you're pitching to publishers and libraries and kind of anybody that will help you get started. You want to go ahead with that, Mike? Because Yeah, I, I will talk as pitching to publishers. And um, I mean, I, I find it fairly easy, not, not much energy. You know, I've got my sort of template email um, that I will send to publishers. Obviously, I've looked at the company I'm pitching to uh, to make sure that um, the music is something that I can create myself. So it's not just blindly sending lots of emails and hoping something will stick. Um, uh, just make it concise. Um, don't make it too long. Don't, don't brag too much. Uh, be polite. Um, so with regards to time and energy, I, I can't say about time because I've, I've sent to some libraries and they get back to me fairly quick. Um, some haven't gotten back to me. Um, so you just keep sending, but it's, it's, it's sort of a, an automated uh, process um, that I do on the side when I'm maybe bouncing my tracks. Um, so yeah, I personally, I don't think it's, it's very hard. Um, Obviously, John can talk about pitching to the, the higher levels then. Yeah. Um, I mean, when I, when I started, you know, pitching to publishers, like you said, I mean, I spent a lot of time doing that. That was a big part of my week was sending to like, you know, 10, 20 publishers a week. But yeah, when you're working with clients or working, responding to briefs, um, you know, there is a lot of energy that goes into it. And the type of energy is when you pitch something, you're pitching a product, you know, it's like when you go to a, a home show at the convention center, you know, you got your nice setup, you got your salesperson, you got to pitch a product. So am I going to send a video reel? Am I going to send an audio reel? How am I going to name the track? Am I going to do all capitals? Am I going to do it with Dropbox? Am I going to do SoundCloud? Am I going to get a source audio? Am I going to do it with MailChimp? Am I going to do an email list? So that is energy. That is energy in terms of how am I going to present my pitch? How am I going to stand out? Is my track really mastered? Is my, is my limiter setting where it's sounding really good? Because if your track doesn't have a certain perceived loudness, the supervisor will just hit next. So is it, that's the energy. And in terms of time, it could take a lot of time. But like Mike said, if you have an automatic email and kind of have a, a good workflow set up where you, you click, click, da, 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 you know, you can get pitches done in, a, you know, 20, 30 minutes. So the, I think, think about that energy is a good word is, is to put in a good pitch. You know, a lot of the people that approached me like Mike, after the initial podcast, I liked their emails had signatures, just a simple thing like that. Just how you, you present yourself, that's energy. And it just made it set them apart. It looked presentable. You know, they use commas and just these simple little things that psychologically will set your pitch apart because these supervisors and publishers are getting hounded. Remember, nobody's owed anything because they are getting hundreds, 
hundreds, maybe even thousands of emails a day. They do respond, which is cool, but um, figure out how to stand out um, and maybe even be one of these people that send, if you find a big library, hell, why not send them a CD? You know, once a year, spend some, send them a CD if you really want to go that route. So, you know, there's, there's many things you can do. I mean, I've done the CD thing for, and sometimes it's been a waste of money. Sometimes I've done a fancy SoundCloud link. It works better. For me, I tend to like the SoundCloud links. I do these private SoundCloud reels. I think SoundCloud's pretty clean, pretty standard. I use Dropbox a lot, though, for pitching and collaboration. So that's energy. Um, but it's got to be part of your day. You can't just be composing all day. And, you know, you really have to try your best in the beginning to get your tracks out there. And don't think of time. Think of energy. So I think the question was worded very well. Um, awesome. Let's do this, guys. We're, we're almost out of time here. Let's take one more, more question. Um, I want to thank everybody. For, I want to thank John and, and Mike, both of you, for being on the webinar today. This, this was uh, insightful and, and fun. Um, uh, so Michelle wants to know, how do you afford, I'm assuming you guys both have home studios, but how do you afford to record yeah. and mix so many tracks? I believe you said 50 a year. Um, yeah, I'm assuming you guys are both uh, working in your own home studios at this point, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the biggest investment, I think, in your gear, obviously it depends on what music you're making, but the biggest investment is the computer. The computer is the heart of the studio. So um, I got my MacBook on finance, if, if we want to go into details. Um, three years, it was well worth the money. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely far from rich, but you just always think of these things as an investment. And any, mo any money you make, then you just you just put it back onto your business because that's that's what you have a business and and buy the next piece of gear um if 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 money is an issue i mean there's, there's always this misconception that you need uh, thousands of uh, dollars or pounds worth of equipment and that's not necessarily true you know with with, with technology the way it is today um we can make you know orchestral blockbuster trailer tracks from you know our um, digital audio workstation so it really depends on what michelle um is trying to create but i think uh, music technology is way more affordable these days than what it used to be 10 years ago yeah yeah and john you also have your own home studio it looks like you're, you're sitting in it right now yep I'm, I'm right here in the studio and in our last podcast i even i was on an ipad i gave a tour which is kind of funny but no uh, michelle i mean it, in terms of recording music i mean most of tv composers and and People like us are just actually computer musicians, so it doesn't cost anything. We just you open up the computer, and I'm actually doing everything digitally right here on the keyboard. So I'm not really investing too much money in spending money on tracks. I mean, I have most of my tracks I just you know I write, but um, if I ever want to bring in a musician or something, or I record strings once in a while. Mike and I worked on a cool project when we record some saxophones and trumpets, and those tracks have already been on some what Netherlands sports or these, these the, little the things Dutch love me that's all i can say yeah the yeah the, 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 the dutch something so you know for that you might spend a couple hundred bucks or something but most of the tracks we're writing are just kind of free just right on, on the computer you know we're not recording quote unquote like a band bringing a you know a full band in here um and doing that so that's because because we're we're more like studio musicians we're just you know more the composers um side of things so but um, the thing is, the more money you put into the tracks, because that's been a big thing with me, is that I always like to use live instruments. I, I do like to spend money on mixing, and I have a person that masters my tracks 
works for me. And once you start doing that, sometimes the, you magically get these placements and you say, oh, wow, maybe, you know, quality music gets placements. So, and for me, you know, I, I paid for logos and stuff and I did recommend Mike to get a logo designed and, you know, get your stuff clean, you know, pay, you know, if you put money into your craft, you, you will see results. So I would say, Michelle, it's a two-pronged answer. Um, that you you spend enough to grow every year, but you don't spend. But you you're able to still have a, an output that you could do mainly digitally. So you know, try to like Mike said, get a nice fast computer, and you know, um, you know, don't spend too much money to to compose the music unless you're you're really ready for it. And in terms of software, the question that just came up, Mike and I both use Logic, which is really really cool. Um, you know, Logic is is Logic Pro X. Awesome. Well, listen, guys, we are a little bit over an hour. I, again, I want to I thank both of you guys for being on the webinar today. Let's tell people how they can connect with you guys if people want to reach out and ask questions. I know, John, you're, you're very accessible. Like you said, it's, it, you, know, you can't work with everybody, but under certain circumstances, you do work with, with other writers. Should we give people your, your website, John? What's the best way to, to connect with you? Yeah, these days you just, you know, you can put Delvento in Google, John Delvento, everything will pop up. But johndelvento.net is my website. And yeah, you can send me an email. I, I do feedback on your music. I'll, you know, ask any questions about the, you know, business side of things. Or I, I love helping people and some, anyone that would like to collaborate. I'm always open to those things. And I'm, yeah, very, very receptive and um, no problem. You could reach me right at you know, johndelvento.net. Um, I guess I'll just put it right, right there too. Cause Mike just put his links up there and. Yeah, it looks like, yeah, I see I didn't Mike's know they could pop up like that, so that's pretty cool. There you go. <laughs> Although, you know what? I think, I don't know if everybody can see this. This says privately. Mike, what, what, if, can you tell yeah, people? Yeah, all panelists and attendees, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, people can, can check out my work, uh, soundcloud.com slash Michael Botts, B-O-T-Z, music. Um, I, I'm always open for helping other composers um, at the start of the journey. Like I've been helped by others um, through, you know, from people like you, yourself, Aaron and, uh, and Eddie as well. Um, very, very good uh, resources and mentors. So yeah, I'm always open to uh, return the favor. Awesome. Well, listen again, th thanks to both of you. Um, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. This has been a, a, a good one. And um we will, I'll post this in the members area. So if you guys want to go back and, and watch the replay, that will be available in a day or two. And I'll send it to both of you as well. So you can have, have the video uh, to check out after the fact. So thank cool. you guys. Have a great day. I'll, thank you very much for having us. Thank you. I'll be in touch with you, John, uh, soon with, with the link. And I'll get, I'll get Michael's email from you and I'll, I'll send it to you as well. Absolutely, guys. Thank you for having me. Nice to see everybody. Music brings us all together. Always focus on the music, guys, and have a great day, great weekend. Happy Veterans Day if anyone's out there in the States, any veterans and all that. And thank you, everyone, again. Great to see everyone virtually. Awesome. Have a great weekend, you guys. Thanks, Talk everyone. You and you. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.